What you're about to listen to is a radio play excerpt of Orion J. Facey's The Virosexuals, Act 5, Scenes 4 and 5. These are all fictional characters. Any resemblance to anyone you may know is purely coincidental. Sal is an internet researcher specializing in memes from the early 21st century and is in a polyamorous relationship with Amygdala. They is not feeling very comfortable in their relationship since Amygdala started to explore virosexuality and often feels as though she is self-destructive, unmotivated and irresponsible. They want to get a better job which will one day enable them to live in the heavens, a private area exclusive to those chosen by the algorithms, but is worried that their queerness will count against their score. So I know that some of the people here haven't read the book yet, so um, maybe I should uh, just discuss a little bit about what virosexuality is in the book. Essentially, it's a subculture uh, whereby people are uh, sexually attracted to the idea of uh, transmitting and receiving uh, STIs. And that's their, like, um, that's how they, like, get their kicks from sex, basically. Um, it started as a like counterculture against these um, computer algorithms that essentially determine every aspect of people's lives, from their like careers to their romantic interests, even to like where they where they live um, all over the world. And they these uh, people who were not really into this idea decided to sabotage their own bodies so that the um, algorithms perceive their um, their labor to be less valuable than other people so that they the algorithms basically ignore them or treat them as non-humans and um, they just get like pushed out of the um, the systems that these algorithms have created and le basically left to like survive. Uh, on their own. Uh, yeah, okay, cool. So, next one uh, is Luna. Uh, Luna is a girl that Amygdala and Cell very recently met. She is cheating on her boyfriend with the two of them. Although she met Amygdala first, she is more fond of Cell. She is somewhat vanilla in her lifestyle choices, but is curious to explore new thrills. She is outgoing, attractive, and a bit of a nymph. Uh, Amygdala is a dream pod sex worker. She is in a polyamorous relationship with Sal and has recently developed a strong desire to explore her latent virus sexuality. In particular, she wants to catch a virus called Petimore so that she can commit suicide via her own orgasm. Uh, so Amygdala is the, the main character in the, in the story. And yeah, the, the virus mentioned there, Petimore, is um, also like a main part of the, the book. And it's a, it's a virus that once you contract it, if you have an orgasm, you instantly die. And the, the, the whole book is basically uh, a story about her trying to find that virus. Uh, all right, Figsy is Amygdala's and Cell's friend. He's generally very optimistic and easygoing. He is eight months pregnant and has been trying his best to stay clean. 
He enjoys going to raves and has a penchant for psychedelics. Uh, man two is an ultra state straight at a gay bar. That's all the notes I have for that. <laughs> um, Escot is a sex worker roid that has been hacked by an entity that is interested in protecting Amygdala at all costs from a dangerous AI that is intent on killing her. The, for the first part, it takes place in a, um, a queer bar called The Devil's Thighs. Um, and it's basically like um, Amygdala and Cell are going on a night out and they're meeting up with uh, Figsy and they're also hanging out with Luna, which um, Amygdala met earlier on, on the same day. Uh um, and then it moves on to uh, like a rave outdoors in Preston and lots of antics gone over there and yeah that's it that's all i wanted to say hey guys how's your night going it's going all right what do you want just wanted to say hi to you all. You look like an interesting group of people. He made pointing gestures with his hands as if to highlight the interesting features of them all. Everyone nodded and tried to telegraph their disinterest in him, but he persisted. So, um, what pronouns do you use? Mate, can you just piss off, yeah? That's a bit uncalled for. I was just trying to be nice. We don't need any good patronizing gobshite, thanks. Go back to your fucking rentaroids. They're looking lonely over there. This is why all you fucking queers have such a hard time walking around with a pole up your ass. Wish I had a pole up my ass. <laughs> <laughs> they all laughed, except for the man. He became flustered and retreated back to his table. It was at this point an armored police van rammed into the pub instantly killing several queers on the first floor. Police officers gushed out of the van, shooting tranks at people attempting to flee the pub. The music stopped and the venue's data stream was overridden with a transmission from the police. Everyone was sent to ransom, displaying a picture of amygdala. Oh, fuck. What the fuck is going on? The man who had just accosted them laughed to himself and rubbed his hands together. He sent a message to Amygdala. Looks like someone's in trouble. Don't you dare say a word to them. No, why shouldn't I? Here's the deal. You come home with me and I won't tell them that I know you're here. Get fucked. Very well. I'm not the type to make empty threats. He got up and made for the stairs. Suddenly, one of the escort roids followed him and grabbed his arm tight at the top of the stairs. Let go of me, bitch. He struggled against her steel grip. Police! Be quiet. Make me. He spat in her face. The escort lifted him clean off the ground and held his upper body over the balcony. With her free hand, she ripped off one of the balcony's metal spindles and forcefully sodomized the man with it until it came out of his bloodied mouth. The last of his life was spent as she sent his body over the balcony 
The pole inside him prevented him from falling gracefully, and the way his skewered torso stubbornly refused to buckle when it collided with the ground reminded Amygdala of eucolic puppetry. It did amuse her somewhat, as the Eros was stopping her from really comprehending the danger she was in. The police officers noticed the commotion and began flooding up the stairs in polychromancy. They seemed to run in slow motion, the stairs replenishing themselves like a downward escalator. Fuck, this is not a good time for the Moxie to kick in. The heavy footprints rang like fighting swans, our skin an outbreak of grey feathers, tingling fingertips, the taste of one's own tongue, a speaking android. You've got to get out of here. A harlot arm scooping up my liquid body, I drip onto the condensated floor, gunshots feeling like her silicon breasts. What about the others? They're fine. A head tuned on them. They're all wearing my face. Laughing faces, laughing guns, still holding me, the escort jumps into the air from the balcony. We saw, we saw, we saw, the air so sharp like candy floss, and we land below us, the sound of the servo motors in her legs fighting hard to reduce the impact of our lofty fall bestows onto me a richer bounty than any symphony. The upturned corpses on the dance floor all have my smiling face. Is that what I really look like? I can hear the lights bouncing off the disco ball. The initial spike of psychedelia resides, and Amygdala found herself being carried by the escort at a superhuman pace. She hadn't the time to see how the others were faring. The escort sent a neural message to Amygdala. I said they'd be fine. Keep your head down unless you want to blow off. With amygdala still held under her own right arm, she leaped over the debris of plascrete rubble and dead queers and ran onto New Canal Street. A police squad of hoverbikes swarmed in from the end of the street, their harsh spotlights burning into amygdala's retinas through her dilated pupils. They trained their machine guns on the two fugitives and shot around of high caliber bullets. The escort tried to perform an evasive maneuver but a bullet clipped her left shoulder and blew her arm clean off, sending circuitry and ferrofluid onto the street. She dove behind a parked car and dropped amygdala onto the floor. Stay here. Don't move. She stood up and faced the hoverbikes speeding towards them. She closed her eyes and focused hard. Amygdala watched her standing there in the midst of this neon nightmare and felt as if the escort's soul was absent, like the spent husk of a cicada. One by one, the hoverbikes abruptly plummeted, their respective pilots screaming at their unresponsive neural HUDs. The bikes collided with the ground in blinding, explosive fireballs. The escort reanimated and not sparing even a second, she hauled Amygdala up with her good arm. She kept sprinting until they found a secluded alleyway. I'm fine. How about you? The Roid looked at the bleeding cavity where her left shoulder used to be. The area around the wound had overheated and her chemise dress had soldered itself onto her plastic skin. The metallic blood glistened under halogen angels. In her altered state, Amygdala couldn't distinguish the boundaries of the skin, the cloth and the blood. She snapped out of her fractal transfixation on the Roid's writhing wound when her crystalline synth voice separated the congealed icy air. I'm losing a lot of blood, so I'm going to run out of energy soon. You're being controlled by the same person that saved me at the pawn shop, aren't you? Yes. How did you do that? I mean, override the engines of those bikes? That's none of your concern. Well, anyway, I owe you one. 
Don't worry. You'll pay me back soon enough. But you really know how to get yourself in a lot of shit. Do you know that? Next time it comes for you, I may not be around to help. Who is it? Why do they keep trying to kill me? It's not who, but what. The entity trying to kill you is Eskatos 2.0. Amygdala tried to recall the picture she took of Eschatos 2.0, but her memory refused to fossilize a coherent image. It was, both sequentially and at once, a scorpion, a hospital bed, a medieval torture device, a prayer, a phallus, a grub, a mother's embrace. That thing is trying to kill me? Yes. It is hacking into whatever it can get its hands on in order to stop you. Stop me from what? I'm not doing anything. Not yet, but there may come a time when you have to make a decision of a magnitude that no woman has made before. And it would be easier for Estatos if you're snuffed out before that time comes. Amygdala once again became frustrated by her own ignorance to her situation. Will you please just tell me what the fuck is going on? I understand your anger. I wish I could tell you what all this means, but you aren't ready for the truth yet. I really don't mean to sound patronizing, but you don't need to worry about the future. You're in safe hands. I'll see to that. For now, you just need to get out of Manchester for the night. Come back in the morning once the dust has settled. At the very least, will you tell me what your name is this time? But the light of the Roy's eyes had already gone. She collapsed to the ground like a sleepy golem. Amygdala was left to her own machinations. Checking her notifications, she found her chat to be inundated with hastily scrawled messages from her three friends. They rejoined at Victoria Station. Cell threw themselves into Amygdala's embrace. Their membranes mutually dissolved into each other. Fuck, I'm so glad you're safe. They wailed, their nectar voice reverberating all the way down to Amygdala's toes. Happened to you? I don't know. I can't even... I don't know. Luna was crawling on the ground and shaking her spine. Oh yeah. Luna thinks she's a ladybird. She's been acting that way since we left the devil's thighs. How much did you give her? Not that much. Anyway, how did you manage to escape from there? That escort fucked the pigs up. I've never seen a roid fight like that, let alone an escort roid. They aren't built to fight. Maybe they weren't escort roids. What do you mean? Mm, I'll explain it later. Look, we need to leave Manchester for a bit. What? Why? It's not safe for us to be in Manchester. That's what that roid told me. Okay, but where should we go? There's this rave thing going on in Preston. Might be a good one. Preston? can't be stabbed to trek all the way to that shithole. Do you not hear what I just said, mate? We have to get the fuck out of here. Oh shit. Yeah. Anyway, Preston's a fucking hands race away, you lazy shite. I can't really afford the train ticket, though. I got a crap train pass my mate gave me. You can all download it. But what about your baby? Is it a good idea for you to go to a rave like that? Yes, Sid. I'm sure I'll find some people wanting to chill out and take it easy. 17 minutes later, 
the four of them arrived in Preston Station. It's fucking freezing, mate! They had come across a bunch of hippies who were also on the train from Manchester and walked with them to the forest rave. Amygdala's stomach was tickling. They paid a thou to get in and they felt the psytrance bass by breaking their hearts and their links. This doesn't even have a data stream. That's real music you're listening to. Whoa, well, the moxie hit fast. Cell said, holding Amygdala's hand. Amygdala hadn't noticed until they said it, but she was definitely coming up on a second wind. <laughs> oh yeah, shall we all dance? Of course! They both looked at Luna, who coyly squeezed her shoulders in, smiled with her tongue out, and nodded giddily. I'm going to take it easy in the reggae area. I'll look up with some familiar friends there. Let's share location on chat so we can find each other if need be. Oh, it's wide. so strong, Sid. You enjoy it. God bless you. They all synced their locations and Figsy floated off. Sel was making out with Luna, was making out with Amygdala. They had dropped their coats somewhere and had forgotten about most things. Their bodies swung with and against the weight of the crowd, the hearts of a hundred strung together, bare feet kicking mud into the air, smell of scented sweat and hands grabbing so tight. They sank subcutaneously, blood pulsing, rushing, blue lasers, stranger's face, kissing, grabbing your ass, cell behind you, grabbing your breasts, kissing you. I forget about everything. I grab Luna's wet hand. I am wedged between two other fleshes but I pull her towards me, and she and her tranced eyes touch me, and my tranced eyes. I'm smothered by skin and wet breath. I feel like forever. The only thing I can hold on to is the steady pumping beat. I am the music. I am the feeling of permeating resonance, the crowd. I don't think my feet are on the ground. My legs are wrapped around Sal's body, actually. My back is supported by this stranger's back, actually. Then I look at this stranger. What's your name? I whisper in their ear, precisely at the same time their tongue is in my mouth. Before I finish the sentence, or possibly before I even started, they say, Laura. I hear the sound tasting like grains of cinnamon sugar pouring over my head. Have I heard that name before? Have I seen that face before? I think I tell them my name. It was raining, each raindrop a gallon. I look up, the trees are shaking so vibrantly. I see every branch and twig, the arcane coherence between every leaf so apparent that it makes me cry. Clara's face is radiating, haloed with deep purple, and they smells of luscious infinite fields of lavender, galactic. I put my hand to their velvet cheek, thick eyebrow brushing my fingertips, and that is the most intense thing I feel for an eternal instant. I am that infinitesimally colossal gentle touch. I run my hand through their drenched hair. I see myself through their nebulous brown eyes. They pulls me closer, impossibly closer, even closer than words I don't understand the meaning of he or she or they anymore. And now I'm ready to let go of I and we dance, we dance, we dance, just we because no one else exists. 
Our skin's never ending. Every hair on our arms is alive with the energy of each other. And we taste like the gates of heaven. And we smile like every inch of us smiles. We are together. Words cannot describe, they can only delimit. We are trying our best to hold on to anything. So we hold on to each other. But soon even the weed disappears and skin unravels. No hearing of sound, but just just sound itself. Now just touch itself. Now just love itself. Now and its intensity is exactly its meaning. The skin drifts into the void, revealing hot blue light forms, quivering, glowing, all heavy light. And everything is here, or everywhere is here. The space between things collapses and catapults back out to the outer limits of the skull, rhythmically contracting and expanding, flower blossom and ice fall, cold, perfect metal surfaces gliding through the light, some as flat planes or some as cylindrical rods, all zooming towards one horizon, screaming sonorously as they do. One surface then becomes the entirety of the horizon, giving birth to plump red spheres, accelerating upwards and shattering, their amorphous yokes morphing around a fixed point, suspended by sonic vibrations. Some take the forms of fetuses, their wispy fiber-optic umbilical cords returning to a tangled nexus, an eyeball, Cora's eyeball, metallic planes bend around the contours of their face and we feel like we're floating back down. We can hold onto each other's hips and everything seems solid. We seem solid. For now, we seem solid. We know what we experienced was an individual by the glint in our eyes and the eye comes back to me. I remember a semblance of who I was, but I am certain that I am unexplainably yet irrefutably altered by this transcendental experience on a core level. I look at Cell, who has locked tight to Luna. We have drifted from each other somewhat. We have both been separated by the erratic flow of bodies. Thea looks back at me, or through me. Thea is in unparalleled ecstasy. Our compersion takes a tangible form and washes over us like thick, warm honey. The taste of salt is in my mouth. The rain has stopped. I don't know how long we have been dancing. I try to look at the time at the top of my vision, but the numbers are written in a writhing language I no longer understand. And even if I did, I don't think it would probably mean all too much to me. She looked at her hands. All but one of her nails were now that pearly sky blue, grinning at her. She could not recall if she had let other people suck them or if she herself had sucked them. Figsy came over to Amygdala, grabbed her hand, and licked the last purple nail. Figsy? Amygdala stood jaw-dropped for a month while Figsy stared, laughing playfully. The fuck are you doing? Okay, it's just one night, like. I'm not gonna do no harm. A night's a long time. I'm not due for like another three weeks. Fuck. So, like, recently, I was thinking about how um, external space is basically only a consequence of internal space. So, like, externality is the real internality? 
Ah, uh, uh, kind of, kind of, yeah. Like it's a mirror of it or something like that, like an echo. It's hard to explain it because language is always attempting to externalize matter, but it's like maybe it's impossible for matter not to be internal. Just the internality itself gets too tangled. And your interactions with the world are actually just a process of dissolving or untangling your consciousness, or should be, rather tangling everyone else's. Yeah. What happens when you untangle your consciousness? Shit, I don't know, maybe you die. Maybe, although I'm not entirely sure I believe in death. Oh yeah? The concept of death is just like, over-identification with linearity. You only die if you buy into the idea that life is a finite resource that is eroded by time. But like, life to begin with is really just a linguistic concept anyway. It goes back to externality again. We all assume that the world sustains us, but it's the other way around. We sustain the world. And we just think that reality is the absolute object we assign it to be because we invest so much energy into it. But, is it really even an investment if you're not also investing in internality? Right. Why do we invest in science and shit when we could be investing in prayer? It's like because everyone believes that internality is subordinate to externality. Everyone's trying to make their lives better by offloading their unresolved traumas onto the world. As if it owes them something. But we're really just clogging up externality so that it becomes useless. And no one stops to think that obviously those problems don't just disappear. They just congest and pollute the world into this convoluted mess that we have today. It's no wonder that God finds it difficult to communicate with us for the suffocation. Me and Clora are fucking. Our bodies have submerged into the soil, subterranean animism. As I penetrate them, I see an earthworm lay eggs beside their left ear. It's like I see it through a magnifying glass. It's convulsions rhyming with my thrusts. Wet, ground, displacement. I may have shot on them. I can't really control my bowels recently. I guess it's because of my sickness, but my anus doesn't really feel like a part of me anymore. Anyway, whether this is shit or soil, I can't tell. I think I can smell shit, but maybe that's just because I'm thinking of shit. I'm too high to separate sensation from imagination. I should just stop worrying about inconsequential things and enjoy this moment. It feels good, and I think they are feeling good too. Chloro's a virusexual too. It's not like they mind if I shit myself. Fuck, I'm so high. I probably took too much. They push me off from them, and they mount me from behind. Something's going up my ass. Wait, did they have a cock all this time? I don't know, I wasn't really checking. Actually, that's a lie. Whatever though. I wonder what kind of viruses they've given me right now. Ones I don't have, I hope. I feel like I'm being inverted. I become the act of my own sodomization. I am a dildo penetrating myself, like a segment of a fractal colliding with a minuscule, self-similar segment. It's not just the physical continuity between our bodies, it's something else. They go deeper into my ass. I feel it in every inch of me. I feel it in the soil. I feel it in the hot air that leaves our mouths. They come inside me, their orgasmic scream assuming the kinetics of an earthquake. Their pleasure arouses me immensely, and I become intoxicated too. I want it. 
As soon as the last reflex of their dick resolves, I disengage and guide their back onto the soil again. I stimulate my semi with my hand until it's rock solid again, and I penetrate their pussy. I'm not thinking about anything, I'm just going for it, racing towards my orgasm. Maybe I've somehow contracted petty more. Maybe I'm gonna die here and now. I hope that that's the case. I see my orgasm approach me like an orb of light. I hear my name. It's getting louder and louder. Amygdala! A set of hands grab me. It's not Clora. So? Amy, something's happened. You have to come. I know I have to come. That's what I'm trying to do. No, no, you have to come. It's Figsy. Fuck's sake, so. Can I not wait? Clara looks at us both, at once embarrassed and mortified. Sal continues. It's Figsy. He's in labour. He's in labour? Is that what they think is worthy of interrupting my fuck? I am incensed that Sal has robbed me of my orgasm because of such a banality. Now look here, Sal. I know you're high right now, but labour disbanded almost 20 years ago. There's no way that he's in... He's giving birth, you fuck. Amygdala looked at them for a few seconds, struggling to process the words she just heard. When the penny finally dropped, she gasped incredulously. Shit! She looked at her spent nails, all 12 of them. It didn't go past cell unnoticed. What are you looking at your nails for? Please don't tell me. Shit, shit, shit. Oh, fuck. What have you done now, Amy? We need to go to him right now. Cell looked at Clora, who was lying in Amygdala's ship. Sorry. They apologised, knowing full well that any consolation of theirs would be inadequate. Figsy was sitting on a blanket with his lower body exposed, surrounded by a large group of hippies. They had formed a circle and were holding hands. Luna was next to Figsy, singing in garbled hysterics. Amygdala, who was practically naked and stank of shit, was begrudgingly being tugged along hand first by Cell, and they pushed their way through the crowd. Don't worry, Figsy. Everything's gonna be fine. Cell reassured as they went to sit beside him. Her intense. Well, yeah. Did you take Amy's moxie? Why do those trees have babies hanging from their branches instead of leaves? Fucking hell. Cell cast a side eye at Amygdala. It's not my fault. Luna clapped her hands twice. What bananas are being peeled open by the gallant soldiers of the machine elves? Hail the return of my extraterrestrial egg sofa, but don't have cause to break its shell when you sit on it, for we have found the source of the eternal umbilical cord. Bigsy agreed. I am indeed grateful that the reptilian celestial emissary has bestowed us with such a treasure, and so I seek to return the favour with an offering of my own. Oh, the weight of this thick glass is worthy of the highest celebration, but I much despise these melting ice cubes diluting my coffee float. As I guessed, crocheting with this little pink was not the most well-advised divination. Alas, here it comes. He heaved and screeched from the core of his body, his muscles contorting to the utmost limits of human articulation. He looked close to death several times, 
The top of the head protruded from his cunt, and such a vision drew motivational cheering from the crowd of hippies. Slowly, Figsy's child was safely delivered to the chorus of exultant ovation. My baby, my sweet, sweet baby. Introduction. Orion Facey. Narrator. Jesse Darling. Man 2. Emma Basayokon. Escort. G. Cell. Natasha Lau. Amygdala. Christopher Karibi. Laura. Taylor Lamel. Fixie. Panazaman. Luna. Panazaman. Wow! Cute. It's cute. Eternal gratitude from the PSS squad. Okay, treat yourselves to something nice and send me the receipt. <laughs> Go eat. Love y'all. <laughs>